Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 14. And the word of the Lord reads, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. As if you guys didn't already know it, but I want to remind you that Tuesday is election day for the midterm elections, and uh, there are a number of important races um, and a number of important issues that are still to be decided uh, throughout the state and throughout our, our country, and will probably be sorted out and decided by the end of Tuesday night. And as important as the races are, and as important as many of these initiatives are, I think by this point, most of us are pretty much sick of it. Like, I think we're, we're all ready for the elections to be over. Um, I think we're tired of the advertisements and the political pandering and the, the campaign promises and the, and the mudslinging and the, and the signs everywhere, right? We've got like three different, you know, uh, signs for the same county supervisor spot like on one corner in our town. I think, I'm, I think we're just tired of hearing about it on every news station. Every time you turn on the news, it's there. It's all the time. It's on social media. It's, it's everywhere. And then worse, you have campaign organizers who have thought it was a really good idea to start sending you stuff in the mail, and then they blow up your email inbox like they, they do mine. And the worst is, is now, you know, they're calling on the phone, and then they're texting, right? The, I mean, I have actually received a couple of text messages this year already, and I'm like, number one, how did you get my number, Right? Number two, who do you think you are texting me? Because usually the people that text me, you know, are people that I have a relationship with. They're usually my friends, right? You know, I usually have a relationship with the people that actually send me text messages. I'm like, Jeff, right? You're not my friend, <laughs> right? We don't have a relationship, so please stop texting me, right? Right, so, um, I mean, it's, it's really frustrating. I mean, it, it's, it seems like, you know, every year it just continues to get more and more invasive. And, and I think we're already kind of put this this behind us. But, but the thing is, is in 18 months, we're going to be right back here again, right? But it's probably going to be worse because it's going to be presidential elections. And we all know how that's been going the last, the last time around. And, and we will, you know, there'll be even more news coverage and even more commercials and even more phone calls and probably even more text messages. And I'll probably lose some more friends on social media too. Um, but the thing is, you know, is that ultimately, it doesn't matter what side of the, the political divide you're on. Both sides really say the same thing, right? If so-and-so gets elected or if, if, if those other people get elected, then the world's going to come to an end, right? And, but now if you will elect me, though, and if you elect my candidate, then we'll make sure that all your dreams come true and we'll create a brand new world where everybody is always happy all the time and it's going to be awesome, right? That's, that's really kind of the gist of, of, of what both sides are, are saying. The fact is that, that both sides you know, have this view that if they win, it's heaven on earth, and if they lose, then, then everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And, and I don't want you to misunderstand me, okay? These elections are important, um, and there are some gravely serious issues that need to be decided. The future of our country is literally, will be determined by how these elections go and how future elections go as well, right? And the truth is, you know, that we stand at this moment upon a great precipice, um, 
And one false step can certainly send our nation into an abyss from which there would be no return. And I do personally have strong convictions, a number of strong convictions on things and, and convictions on certain candidates, and, and they're informed by my, my Christian worldview, though I'm not able to speak about those from the pulpit. So yes, this election is important, and I'm not minimizing that. And you should vote. We all, everyone should vote. But I want you to remember, our hope ultimately is not in who wins elections. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ, the one who really, can came, who really came to change the world. You see, politicians promise to change the world, and they promise to change your circumstances and to change your destiny, and ultimately, whatever changes that they might have, though they might be important now, in the long term, no matter how big they are in the grand scheme of things, will really be superficial at best. Whatever, whatever movement that you're supporting, whatever political party that you have that you're affiliated with, whatever your hopes are right, that you may have for, for your life and for your country, in the grand scheme of history, all of these things really are going to be minor because in the end, the only movement, the only movement that will really have lasting importance is the movement of God through history. 2,000 years ago, a movement began that literally changed everything that changed history, that changed the, the lives of everyone who has ever lived and ever will live, and at this moment will affect the destiny of all of mankind. All of mankind is affected by this movement, this movement that is centered on the life and the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So today we're going to continue to walk through the Gospel of Mark in part three of our series titled, Following Jesus. And what we've come to understand that Jesus is, Jesus Christ is God. He, he is God directly intervening in human history. God coming down to be with us. Jesus is God in the flesh. And at his baptisms, the, the, head, the heavens were, were torn open, signaling the start of something really big. A movement that would change the entire world. A movement that would change everything forever. And after his baptism, Jesus went right into face-to-face -face combat with the enemy, the devil, our enemy. And for 40 days, Jesus was in the wilderness, and the devil tempted him over and over and over again. But Jesus defeated him simply by using the word of God, proving that Jesus is not only God, but a perfect, sinless man who is able to fully identify with us and ultimately save us. Now, Mark moves really, really quickly. The Gospel of Mark, as, as we have said before, is, a, is a, a passion narrative with an extended introduction. Mark moves very quickly from the temptation to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, which is the text that we're going to look at this morning. But before we jump in here today, I want you to understand that in this short text that we look at, I know it's just two verses, but it's a vitally important text because this text is literally the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry and what he says here and what he does here will literally set the foundation for everything else that Jesus is going to do and everything else that we need to understand about the gospel. So turn with me to, to Mark chapter 14. And it reads, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is a very short phrase but there's a lot of information in this verse. In, 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 in classic Mark style, he really packs a lot of information in, the, in a short amount of space. And the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus begins his ministry after John is arrested. This is really important for us because, because for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
John is a forerunner of Jesus. Right? He is the one who was foretold about in the Old Testament in Isaiah. He's the one who would come before the Messiah, preparing the way of the Lord. He's the one who is the voice in the wilderness, crying out, make straight the path of the Lord. And we see this, this is the fulfillment of that in all four gospel accounts. All four gospel accounts talk about this, and we know that this is true. John is, a, is the literal forerunner before Jesus. He is, he is the herald. But John not only is a forerunner to Jesus' earthly ministry, he is also the forerunner to Jesus' fate. Because Jesus, just like John, will be arrested. And Jesus, just like John, will be killed for the truth. I don't know if you realize that, but Jesus and John were both arrested. And both end up being killed for what they preach. Which leads me to the second point. John was arrested because he, he, he called out King Herod Agrippa because of his sin. He called out Herod Agrippa um, because he divorced his wife and then took another wife, which happened to be his living brother's wife. Right? And that's a sin. It was a grievous sin. And John publicly called him out on it. In fact, Mark chapter 6, and uh, verse 17, it says, For it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the, the sake of Herodias his brother's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So in essence, John was arrested for calling sin, sin. John was arrested for proclaiming the truth. He was arrested for calling sin for what it is. And Herod Agrippa did not like having his personal sexual decisions to be labeled that way. He didn't want it to be called sin. He didn't like being confronted publicly about the truth of his behavior. And so he had John arrested, and Herodias, Herod's illicit wife, she didn't like being labeled a sinner or an adulteress. This was exactly what she was, right? And so she actually had John killed. In fact, if you remember the story, she had John, John's head on a platter. So when you hear somebody you know, express that in secular world. I want his head on a platter. This is exactly what it's talking about, the death of John. John was killed for telling the truth about sin. Now understand, this is 2,000 years ago, but not much has changed because people still today do not want to hear the truth about sin. People today do not want to talk about it. People do not want to have their lifestyle choices labeled as, as sinful or wrong, you know, even though that, that they are. You see, we, we, we're, we see the outworkings of this in, in our culture now. Th things are happening today that we would have never imagined 15 years ago. Bakers are being sued because they won't make cakes for certain weddings and ceremonies. Videographers in Minnesota are being threatened with jail time for not agreeing to, to film uh, and chronicle same-sex weddings. Pro-life organizers are being labeled as, as hate groups because they are trying to protect the lives of the unborn. Churches are being sued for not making restroom accommodations for people who rebel against God's design for, for genders. Bivocational pastors are being fired for writing books that exposit the, the, the truth of God's word. Parents in Canada right now are threatened for, for their, with the loss of their children for teaching what the Bible says about marriage and gender identities. And this is just the very beginning. We see it now around us that there is a clear divide in our country 
People don't want to hear the truth about sin. Right? And they will do what it takes to silence us. That's why elections do matter. We stand closer right now than ever before to having our right to free speech and religious expression extinguished in the name of tolerance and in the name of security. Why? Because at the root, calling out sin and calling people to repent and preaching the truth about Jesus, that he is the only way, is inherently dangerous in our world. Because people do not want to hear the truth. They just don't want to hear it. They'll do anything to suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. I mean, we look around the world and we see it. Right? They will sue you. Right? They will scream at you. They will stalk you in public. As my daughter had noticed, she read an article about a girl who lost her mind started throwing you know, her drink all over people. They will demonstrate. They will, they will use intimidation tactics. And even they will kill to suppress the truth. People do not want to hear their choices are sinful. They don't want to hear that any kind of sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is, 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 is sinful. Sex before marriage is sin. Sex with someone who's not your spouse is sin. Sex with the same gender is sin. Looking at pornography is sin. But people don't want to hear this. People don't like hearing that killing a child in the womb is murder. It's not health care. You're not removing a mass of tissue. You're killing a human being. And the most prolific serial killers in the world are not people who hide in the shadows and work in secret. They are people who, who work in clinics and can be found in broad daylight murdering children in the name of women's health. But people don't want to hear the truth of that. People don't even want to see the images of that. People want to just justify and move on. And that's why you're seeing that there's more and more incivility and people are becoming more violent. People don't want to hear the truth that we are inherently not good. We just want to assume that everybody's good, that people are born good, but we're not born good. We're not good people who do occasionally bad things. We are fallen, broken people who, by the grace of God, are able to then occasionally do good things. People don't want to hear that. And this rebellion against the truth has become so prominent. There's so many ministers in modern American church who refuse to talk about these things. And they're like, we just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We just don't want to make people feel bad. We don't want to confront people with the truth. We just want them to come and sit. Right? They think that if they preach a soft message of self-affirmation, right, that somehow that people will just hang around the church long enough that they will finally hear enough of the gospel that they will finally and somehow accidentally turn to Jesus if we don't hurt their feelings. And they will, they will talk about your mistakes, but they won't call it what it is, sin. They won't, they'll, they'll talk about God's love, which we love to talk about God's love, but they won't talk about God's justice. They'll talk about God's grace, and we will always talk about God's grace, but they won't talk about his wrath. They'll talk about heaven. That's the glorious hope that we have, right? But they won't talk about hell or even acknowledge the fact that we have an enemy called the devil. People in Western culture are just quietly killing the church from the inside out because we don't want to hear the truth. We just want to be entertained. We want to be comforted. We just want to feel better about ourselves because, gosh, gosh darn it, you know, life is hard. And because of that, we're slowly strangling the church. 
Because people's reaction naturally when confronted with the truth is violence. And that's, that's what happened to, with Herod. John was imprisoned and ultimately killed because John's bold proclamation of the truth. Right? Both John and Jesus were arrested for proclaiming the truth. Right? And they were both killed for it. So Mark says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And, and, and what I want you to notice here is that when Jesus, when he begins his public ministry, right, he does so by preaching, by proclaiming the gospel of God, as Mark says. And this is really important, I think. This really helps us to understand our role in the world and what ministry is supposed to look like, right? He doesn't start by healing people, though he will do that. He doesn't start by casting out demons. He doesn't start and begin by feeding the poor. He doesn't begin by working to end slavery. He doesn't begin trying to work to end racism. He doesn't, he doesn't begin by telling people to overcome their addictions. He doesn't begin by, by, by trying to promote world peace. He begins by preaching the gospel. Now, why does he begin with the gospel? Because the gospel is our greatest need. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we can be forgiven of our sins is our greatest need, greater than our need for acceptance, greater than, than your need for food, greater than my need for love, greater than all of our need for, for justice, and greater than our need for, for fairness. Our greatest need is the gospel. The world's greatest need is the gospel. Again, as pastor and author Max Lucado puts it, I've quoted him before on this, but I will continue to quote this. He says, if our greatest need had been information, God would send us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. Our greatest need is the gospel. Because our greatest problem that we face is the fact that we are all sinners. We are, we are all lost and need a savior. Our greatest problem is the fact that we are born, as, as Paul says, children of wrath by our nature sinners. And because we're sinners, and because we are willfully rebelling against God, and because we want to suppress the truth in our unrighteousness, the wrath of God is against us. As Paul says in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Our greatest problem is the fact that we are covered in our sin. And not only does our sin destroy our lives, because it does, we see, it, we see the, the physical effects of it. Not only does it destroy our relationships, we've all seen relationships destroyed by sin. And not only does it destroy opportunities, we've seen people lose lots of opportunities financially and educationally because of sin, but it destroys the world around us. Our sin condemns us also before a holy God and one day we will stand before him and give an account and we will be rightfully found guilty and we will spend eternity separated from his life-giving presence in hell forever and ever and ever. That is the world's greatest problem. So our greatest need is a savior. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Our greatest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that is why Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming the gospel of God. That is why he starts with the gospel. Because as Paul tells us, it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to save. And so Jesus begins the moment, this movement, to change the world by preaching the gospel. Now, 
As we talked before, Jesus absolutely did come to care about people. Because he did. He cared about their problems. Jesus cared about their illnesses. He cared about their infirmities. He cared about their loss. He cared about their broken hearts. And not only did he talk about the love of God, but he got busy and demonstrated the love of God by the way that he ministered to people and he met their needs. As we're going to see as we look forward in the book of Mark. But I don't want you to miss the importance of this. Jesus begins the gospel because it is the reason he came. He came into the world to save sinners. He came to bring forgiveness. He will say later on, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He, he will tell Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is why Jesus ultimately came. Jesus began his ministry, right? A ministry that will change the entire world by proclaiming the gospel of God because it is our greatest need. And so Mark said, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, the, so picture this. Jesus begins his ministry preaching the good news of God. Right? He's solved our greatest problem and that God and man have now been restored back into a relationship that man was created for and that forgiveness of sin is a real thing and that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and you know, that all you need to do is put your trust in him. And Jesus then, after he says those things, after he proclaims the gospel, he says four things. He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, this is important because I want you to think about this. Jesus proclaims the truth of the gospel and he makes these four statements that really must be understood in light of the gospel. He says, again, right, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Now, the thing is that the gospel of Mark, as we, we have seen, moves really, really fast. And there's a tendency, I know that I... I have this tendency that when I read short scriptures that I think I kind of know what they mean and just kind of move over the details really, really fast. And I miss things, right? And, and what, this, what this tells us, we need, it's important for us to, to take some time to slow down and examine what's being communicated. And the first thing that Jesus is saying after he preaches this, this message, right, the very first phrase that he says is, the time is fulfilled. And, and, and this is so important for us to just to understand, right? Because all of history, you see, all of history is not pointing towards the election tomorrow. I mean, on Tuesday. But all of history has been pointing to this day, to this moment. Since man fell in the garden and all of creation was subjected to sin and death, since God promised a Redeemer who had set things right, all of history and all of creation have been waiting and converging on this moment. The entire world was waiting for this moment, the moment when God would intervene in human history and make things right. As one commentary notes, redemptive history has been building to this climactic moment. In fact, John the Baptist was telling everyone to repent in preparation of this moment. He said, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then... Right? And then comes Jesus preaching the gospel. And he said that that time is fulfilled. Salvation has come to the world. The time 
is now. He's in essence is what he's saying. The time is now. The time has been fulfilled. Right? Salvation has come. It is now present tense. Right? And then he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is now, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, there's a lot of discussion and debate about what, what that means. And, and some would say that that means the kingdom of heaven is near and coming soon. But the kingdom of heaven isn't really, you know, here. It's a future reality. But I want you to understand that is not what this text is communicating. The Greek word that's used here in the New Testament expresses extreme closeness, as one commentator puts it, and immediate imminence, even a presence. It is here, is what Jesus is saying. You see, when Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying the kingdom is, is, is here now. And the reason why the kingdom is here now is because the king himself is here now. I hope you understand that. The kingdom is here because the king is here. Jesus is the king, and whenever the king goes, the, the kingdom comes with him. Jesus was saying at the time, that, that right now, that the time is now, the kingdom is here. God's glorious kingdom has come to the earth. A new age has dawned on the world, and salvation and forgiveness have come to the world. The kingdom of God, where all things are beginning to be made new again, is now here within reach of all of mankind. Salvation, the forgiveness of sins, being adopted into God's family, a hope that never ends, is now available to you now. And then in light of that, because the time is now, and because the kingdom is here, Jesus says you need to take action. And you do that by repenting and believing the gospel. You see, Jesus proclaims the gospel and he declares the time is now and the kingdom is already here and available for us and we need to take action by repenting and believing the gospel. That's exactly what this is. This is a call to action. Jesus didn't just preach the gospel and walk away. He preached the gospel and he called people to action. It's a call to respond to the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is in the world. And then he was baptized and the heavens were torn open indicating that God was at work in the world and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and Jesus went out proclaiming the good news and so the time is now, today is the day of salvation. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is here in this moment. It's available to all who repent and believe. That's what Jesus is saying. The time is now. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe. Now, there are some who will say, wait a minute. Jesus said his kingdom was near, not here. Because the kingdom of God was not already come. I mean, just look around. Christ's kingdom is a future kingdom, they say. Jesus' kingdom is in the future. One day he will come back and establish his kingdom. But it's not here now. Now, I will agree that there is a future component to Christ's kingdom. Because there will be a time when he consummates all of his work and he will finish the work of redemption and Christ will physically return and he will judge the world and those who are in Christ will forever and ever and ever live in his presence. That is exactly the hope that we hold on to. We, we read about it in Revelation chapter 21. It says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of 
heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is our hope, brothers and sisters. Yes, that is the future fulfillment of Christ's kingdom. Right? I agree that there's a future component of the kingdom of God where Christ will reign and everything will be perfect, but the kingdom of God, just like salvation, has an already but not yet existence to it. The kingdom is here already, but not fully yet. For instance, when, when you trust in Christ, you are already saved, but you still sin. Why? Because there's an already, but not yet, existence to your salvation. You have been saved from the penalty of sin, but you have not been saved from the presence and the influence of sin yet. That's still future. You've already been saved, but not yet fully saved because the future component of your salvation. Your salvation, though guaranteed to you in Christ, if you believe in him, is still to be completed in the future, and it's the same way with the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here now in this moment. You can experience it. You can live in it. You can expand it. But it's not fully here yet. The kingdom of God, it still has a future component to it. But Sherman, you, how can you say the kingdom is here? Well, I can say the kingdom is here is because the king is here. And wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. And wherever the king goes, the kingdom goes with him. Well, wait a minute. Christ left the earth. How, how can you say... I mean, he's not physically here, so how can you say that the kingdom is here? He's not here anymore. Well, I need to remind you that if you put your faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that, that if you actually believe in Christ, then you are actually in, positionally, Christ. As Paul tells us in Galatians, if anyone is, is in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Throughout the entire New Testament, you will... See the words, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Why? Because we are positionally in Christ. We are unified in Christ into his death and resurrection. Over and over again, you will see the words, in Christ. But more than that, not only are we in Christ, but Christ is then also in us. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior... Jesus indwells you. Paul says, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So when you become a believer, you are put, and you put your faith in Christ, you are positionally in Christ, and Christ is in you. Now I want you to follow along here, okay? I don't want to lose anybody in the weeds. All right? Because the kingdom of God is here, because Christ is that means you, because you are in Christ, are in the kingdom of God. I want to say that again, all right? Because the kingdom is where, the, where Christ is, right? And what that means is that because you are in Christ, then you are in the kingdom of God, right? And because Christ is in you, then the kingdom of God is in you. 
which means, in a very real way, the kingdom of God is here on earth right now. And if you, as a believer, wherever you go, the kingdom of God goes with you. The kingdom is right here. It is in this room. The kingdom is in our community. The kingdom exists in pockets all over the world. Wherever you find Christians, you will find the kingdom of God. Wherever a believer goes, Christ goes, and the kingdom goes with him. The kingdom is on the earth, which means that you can experience the kingdom here and now. That's why we're called to advance that kingdom, which is the message that Jesus is preaching. The time is now. The kingdom is here. So in light of that, repent and believe the gospel. This is the urgent call of Christ. Mankind fell hopelessly into sin, and the awful wrath of God abides upon him, which means judgment of God is imminent, but God has promised a Redeemer and a Savior, and that Redeemer has come. And you can escape the coming wrath of God. You can escape the judgment of sin. You can be washed clean and forgiven of your sin. You can live a life of real hope, a life of free, that's free of, of condemnation, because there is therefore no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. You can live a life of pure and true joy because God is the center of your joy. You can be set free from the penalty of sin and also the power of sin and one day the presence of sin because the Savior has come and the kingdom is here. So repent and believe the gospel. Because that really is how you enter the kingdom as you repent and believe the gospel. Now if there is a word in our modern Christian language that we don't like, it's that word right there, repent. Because we're like, well, wait a minute, I've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. I'm not saved by what I do, which is the truth. I'm not saved then by the repentance of my, my sin. I need to just believe in Jesus. I just need to believe that Jesus is real. Well, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of what repentance is. Because repentance and belief are really the same thing. They're actually two sides of the same coin. See, repentance is turning away from sin, and belief is turning toward God. They're the same thing. When you turn toward God in faith, you are naturally turning away from something else. Repentance and faith are inseparable. Which means you can't have faith without repentance. Now, before you send me any nasty emails and say, well, wait a minute, <laughs> all right, I just need to believe in Jesus. Just remember something that James, the brother of Jesus himself said, even the demons believe and shudder. Even the devil believes that Jesus is the Lord. In fact, in the coming weeks, we're going to see Jesus confront the spiritual forces of darkness over and over again, and they will acknowledge his sovereignty. In the same chapter, chapter 1, in verse 24, Jesus confronts a demon who's possessed, who possesses a person, and the person says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He knows him personally, right? Have you come to destroy us? He knows he is powerful. I know who you are, he says, the Holy One of God. The demon understands who Jesus is and believes in him and his power to destroy him. So what is the difference then between, between him and a believer? The difference is a, is, is a saving faith. They both believe, right? Right? But the difference is, is a saving faith, and a saving faith is both belief and repentance. 
The devil certainly believes in the existence of God, but he won't repent of his sin. He won't, neither will the demons. They won't repent of their wrongdoing. They love their rebellion more than they love God. They refuse to repent. That's what repentance is, is really acknowledging I love God more than my sin. Saving faith is both repentance and belief. They're two sides of the same coin, and to enter the kingdom, one must, as Jesus himself says, repent and believe the gospel. Now, there's an important idea here in the text that I want to I talk to you about and help us to come to terms with. But before I dive in, I want to just be really, really clear. I want you to hear what I'm saying, where I'm coming from. I don't want you to misunderstand and say I'm saying something I'm not saying. Understand? Okay. So what I want you to understand is that I believe with all my heart in the security of the believer. If you repent and you put your trust in Christ, you are saved, and God has the power to save you and keep you saved forever and ever and ever. If you are saved, you are truly saved, and you cannot lose your salvation. I believe that with all my heart. Okay? But I want you to hear me on this. Repentance and faith in Christ are not like a flu shot. Okay? It's not just an inoculation against the disease of hell. One of the greatest tragedies in, in, in our culture today is the idea that if you will just raise your hand or if you will just pray some prayer or if you'll just come forward at some revival meeting and you make some emotional profession of faith, then you are saved regardless of what the rest of your life looks like. Brothers and sisters, that is just simply a lie that has, that has sent many people, including some people that we have known and loved, to the pit of hell. And there are people today that you will ask them, right? Most of the people in this community, you'll ask them, or, do you believe in God? They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Though they never go to church, though their life doesn't look like it, they live just like the culture, and they indulge in all the same things, sexual immorality, gossip, debauchery, you name it. Right? But they will insist, they will say, I am saved. And you'll ask them, well, how do you know that you were saved? Well, because there was a point in time I prayed some prayer. I invited Jesus in my heart. Right? I raised my hand and went forward. The, the evangelist said I was saved. I even wrote, wrote the date down on my Bible that I was saved. They'll say, I just confessed that Jesus is Lord. I did that thing one time, right? And then I'm good. I don't need no more of that. Repentance and faith in Christ is not a one-time event. It's not something you just do and then you're done. Repentance and faith um, is a lifestyle that results from a heart that is radically transformed by God. You see, the words that Jesus uses here for repent and believe, this is why Greek is so interesting. The words that he used here for repent and believe are what, what's called present tense imperative. That's just a fancy way of saying that, the, the, that these words are in the present tense, but they, they give an idea of continuous action. They're present tense imperatives. In other words, Jesus, what he's saying is, not just repent, but be repenting. Not just believe, but be believing. Right? It's the idea that you repent and keep repenting. And it's the idea that you believe and you keep believing the gospel. You see, the thing is, when it comes to belief, it's not a one-time thing. You don't believe and then stop believing and then you're good. You continue to believe. It's a continuous thing. Your, your belief is an ongoing event. When you trust in Christ, you, you don't trust him just one time. You continually trust him. You continually lean into him. You continue, continually you know, search him out. Right? You depend on Christ continually. You believe in him continually. You repent of your sins continually. Because brothers and sisters, this side of heaven, you're going to continue to sin. Repentance and belief in the gospel is a lifestyle that results 
from a transformed heart by God. And the Christian life is marked by continual repentance. You continually turn away from sin. Temptation will draw you away. And you will fall flat down on your face in sin. What do you do? You repent. You turn away from it. You repent today. You repent tomorrow. You repent for the rest of your life. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. You just keep repenting. The Christian life is marked by continual repentance, but it's also continual belief. You continually believe. You continually turn towards God. You get sideways in your life and the world falls apart around you. What do you do? You turn towards God. You believe in him. You believe in his promises to provide for you and take care of you. You get distracted by the things of this world and you realize you've lost focus on him. What do you do? You turn to God. You turn towards God and believe. You fall, take a nosedive in the worst kinds of sin. What do you do? Do you put yourself in a spiritual penalty box saying, well, I just need a couple weeks so God will settle down and then I can come talk? No. You immediately repent. You immediately repent and believe in him and believe in his promises to rescue you and to save you. The Christian life is marked by continual repentance and belief. It's a lifestyle that's a result of a transformed heart by Christ. And then when you repent and believe in God, God the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He strengthens you. He enables you to live this life of repentance and faith. Because brothers and sisters, you can't do it on your own. We're told in the Bible that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and indwells us and he guides us and leads us and convicts us of our sin. And the same God enables us to continually repent of those sins and continually to believe the good news of the gospel. Remember, salvation is the supernatural act of God himself. It's a radical transformation of who you are. You know, this is the part that I, I, always, I always try to come bring myself back to. I was dead in my trespasses. I was, I was dead, like unable to respond. I was dead in my trespasses, but I was made alive in Christ. You were bought from death to life. The old has passed away, the new has come. And the thing that we need to keep in mind as believers is, is that if we really belong to God, right, we will automatically live a life of repentance and belief because, because if you belong to God and you fall into sin, he's not going to leave you there. He will not leave you in your sin. He will bring conviction. He will bring consequences into your life that will bring you back to repentance and belief. He will put you back on the path. God will enable you and give you the life and the ability to live in the kingdom of heaven. So what do we do with this? Well, the application of this text is actually pretty simple. If you're someone who has not put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've not moved to faith in him, right, but suddenly you realize, like, you, you know who you are, and that you know that there is a God, and that you need him in your life, and you're ready to move forward with that, well, time is now. Today is the day of salvation. The kingdom is here, available to you. So repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. The gospel is really, really simple. You're a sinner, and you can't fix it on your own. And you're hopeless in your sin. But God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you. He loved you so much, imperfect you so much, that he crushed his perfect son to save you. That if you would just 
repent and believe and put your trust in that gospel and believe that he is God and that God raised him from the grave, that you will be saved. End of story. And if you're ready to make that decision today, then I want you to come see me afterwards so we can talk about it. I want to help you begin to walk and follow Jesus Christ. That is how you come to faith. Now, if you're someone who does believe, you know, praise the Lord because you are in the kingdom of God right here, right now. Living a life in the kingdom that, that is radically different than the rest of the world. It might not look like it all the time, but the reality is you're being strengthened to live differently than the rest of the world. And what you need to do is you need to let your light shine. You need to let the light of Jesus shine through you, and you need to continue to repent and believe the gospel. Hear me on this. When you fall down, get up and repent and believe the gospel. When you stumble, repent. Turn to God and believe. When you feel far away from God and it feels like you know, you're all alone and you feel like God's not there with you, repent and remember that he's promised to never leave you or forsake you, that his promises are sure and true. Believe, believe, believe those promises. Hold on to those promises. Repent and believe the gospel. Continually repent and believe. Because you are citizens of heaven and you're children of the king. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for your blessing over this congregation and that your word would continue to ring true in all of our ears and all of our hearts and all of our minds. That we would just believe and trust the fact that your kingdom is here and the time is now. There's never a better time at all to repent and believe. Now's the moment. Now's the time. And I pray, Father, all of us would have done that that those who do not know you, Lord, would come to faith in you today. And that, Father, that we would understand that, that repentance and, and faith are really just the same idea. That, that when we get distracted, we're turning our hearts back to you. When we get sideways, we turn our hearts back to you. Father, it's just this continual cycle in our lives. As we live in this already but not yet existence of salvation and, and kingdom life. As we experience the world around us, Lord, as, we, as we, we touch the world around us, Lord, that we understand that we're still in this broken place for a reason. And that, Father, that you are at work in our hearts, sanctifying us and changing us and making us into something new. And that, Lord, our hope is anchored not in our abilities to be right with you, but our hope is anchored in your ability to save us and rescue us. And the evidence of that is you continually give us the strength to repent and as your word says, those who, who persevere are saved, Lord. And that repentance and belief is your evidence in our lives of persevering and being saved, even when we make big mistakes. Oh, Lord, forgive me of the mistakes that I make. Forgive me of the sins that I commit. Forgive me of how I can fall down. Forgive me of my fickle heart, Lord God, who can turn away from you after the new shiny thing in the world. I pray, Father, that all of us, Father, would just continue to lean on you trust in you for your glorious salvation. Thank you for that. Christ in You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. 
Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.